Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross, along with Luke Doris on our super special podcast here this week. We may break records today. Just an <laughs> early prediction. Yeah, and uh, we've got a big one for you. The storm tracker himself, Jim Cantore from the Weather Channel, is going to be with us just a few minutes. You know, when Jim shows up in town, people start getting nervous. It's, it kind of follows him around because they know something uh, bad is uh, probably heading their way. There are very few people around who can stand out in a storm for hours and hours and improvise interesting television based on good storytelling and meteorological knowledge. I mean, lots and lots of folks go out and cover storms, but nobody, I don't think, does it as well as Jim, and nobody has been as successful as Jim has been in his career. We'll talk about how he got started in his career, how the life of a storm tracker has changed over the years, and he'll be along here shortly. We're recording this on Thursday, August 22nd, 2019. If you're listening at some point in the future, you've got to tune in to Local 10 in South Florida or check the Max Tracker app for tropical information or the Local 10 weather app for local weather information and to keep up on what's going on currently. Well, we've got this uh, tropical disturbance still sitting over the Bahamas. No big changes in the models. I guess the big question is how much of that moisture actually gets over the peninsula, although we think some of it will. Yeah, that's that was the question I was trying to figure out yesterday. You and I were talking <laughs> yeah. about it, and it's just there's a lot of question marks. Um, the Does it stay more of a consolidated system that kind of skips just offshore? Uh, if so, we just kind of get clipped with it. It seemed yesterday that some of the guidance was bringing a weaker system that kind of split between the surface and the mid-levels mm-hmm. and drug maybe a little bit more moisture over because it was weaker. Um, I haven't looked at models yet this morning, but, yeah, this is tough putt. This forecast is tough. Well, yeah, and as uh, we've talked about so many times, when the systems are weak, the forecasts are poor. By definition, that's true in tropical systems in terms of where they're going to go. The track forecasts are poorer, the intensity forecasts are poorer than they are for relatively intense systems. And that's also true for local forecasts as well, exactly what's going to happen when you have just uh, barely spinning, starting to spin uh, tropical disturbance not too far away, how much moisture is going to come over the land, it's it's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. We, we had that tropical depression not too awful long ago that was just offshore. Yeah, you know, it made beautiful it weather here. We were gorgeous. <laughs> it was yes. fantastic. Right, but we I think we forecast pretty heavy rain. <laughs> yeah, right? I did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, but in any case, the, the bottom line is there isn't a whole heck of a lot else going on. The Atlantic still looks pretty stable, even though some pretty good waves are coming off of uh, Africa, and nothing is allowing them to develop. The bottom line is we're into the heart of hurricane season, and we have to get ready. Yes, they were. That's it, right. So uh, I should mention 27 years ago today, the 22nd of August, 1992, was a Saturday. And on that Saturday was the day that most people in South Florida became aware that Hurricane Andrew was a threat to South Florida. Now, if you talk to people today, almost to a person, they'll tell you, originally it was forecast to come down the Dade-Broward line, and I was in Hollywood, so I went to Kendall, and boy, was that a mistake. It turns out there never was a forecast of that. Now, I'm not saying that somebody on television or radio or somewhere didn't say that, but the, the official National Hurricane Center forecast never said that. It actually started out early in the morning at 5 a.m. The official forecast took it to Central Florida. And then incrementally, every forecast advisory during the day, it came south so that by 11 p.m., 
it was South Dade, and it stayed South Dade throughout the day on Sunday to Sunday night when, when it came ashore. So anyway, it was an amazing progression of uh, what happened that Saturday that people became aware through the day there was actually a hurricane threat. Most people didn't know until that day, mm. and it hit the next night. So uh, when you think about it in terms of the amount of information we have today and the amount of time that we think about, think about it, two things are different. One is the world is different in terms of communications and now with social media and everything else. And the other thing that's very different is that storm was especially annoying because it would just took so long to organize and the models were all over the place, even the crude models back then. But if it were to happen today, we would anticipate the models being all over the place again. What, the people, the town, what was the, the feel, Brian? I mean, was it panic? Was it mass panic? Was no, it- uh, no, because we hadn't had a hurricane in so long. And uh, this was only uh, category one. And by the late night had ended up being a category two hurricane. So there was certainly concern uh, but I think the people just uh, knew what they were going to do. They did it the next day. The weather was nice all day Sunday, so they did it. And by the time Sunday night happened, there was nobody on the road. Nobody was running around. The roads were clear, and people were confident they'd done what they thought they needed to do. The thing was that nobody envisioned a storm that strong that exceeded everybody's preparations. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, that was the issue. All right, so uh, as I said, the bottom line is that uh, when a hurricane is threatening the coast, the guy you know you're going to see out there is Jim Cantore on the Weather Channel. Now, Jim and I go way back, and I had the pleasure of working with him for eight hurricane seasons at the Weather Channel, and we knew each other many years before that. Jim, thanks so much. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brian and Luke. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's funny to hear you guys talking about that, and that was actually my first hurricane to cover not in florida but in louisiana ah yes second landfall okay so i've done now 99 of these stories <laughs> since, since then so it's, it's been a few yeah so andrew i remember that <clears throat> the florida landfall in andrew uh I, I know this because i've seen you on the video doing it uh you were in atlanta working with the the famous master john hope uh oh, yes. hurricanes who taught all of us so, so much. So what do you remember about uh, the, the two steps of Andrew? First of all, as it was approaching Florida, what you were feeling about it and, and what the team at the, at the Weather Channel was feeling. And, and then when you went to Louisiana, what you were thinking there? So Friday, I was on the air doing a tropical update at 50 past. And my last one, I remember uh, talking about it. You remember, you remember Brian, it was only three days forecast yeah, back then exactly yes and, and so what i did is expand out the three-day forecast and i said on the air hey if this keeps going anywhere from south florida to the outer banks is going to deal with a hurricane and i remember walking off the air and this guy named wendell pickens wendell used to uh, he was one of our behind the scenes meteorologists he looks over at me and he goes cantori he goes bob sheets is on the phone and i just looked back at him and i laughed now bob for, for those who don't remember was mm-hmm. the director of the hurricane center at that time. Fantastic guy, yes. And, yeah, yeah. Instrumental and, um, in what I happened thought it was a joke. here, actually, in South Florida. He was such a big part of, of our coverage, you know, when that was happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and certainly even afterward had a lot to do with the, the recovery and, and, the and building codes. And you did Brian with codes and things <clears throat> yeah, like that. Yeah. So, you, you know, the fa- I thought he was joking. So then I saw the look on his face. I said, maybe he's not joking. So I walk over, I grab the phone from him, and I said, hi, this is Jim Cantori. What can I do for you? 
He goes, hey, Jim, it's Bob Sheets, director of the Hurricane Center. And I mean, I just stood up. I'm like, oh, oh. He goes, did you just expand out the three-day forecast? And I said, uh, uh, yeah, I did. I, I just said everybody from the Outer Banks to South Florida needs to kind of watch this because it could be coming your way. He goes, don't ever do that again. You just had, you just had every emergency manager from the Outer Banks to South Florida <laughs> call me. And so, I mean, of course, being a young kid at that time, I was like, oh, no, what have I done here? But in retrospect, uh, you know, good yeah. thing we put everybody on alert, yeah, right? Absolutely. And the rest is history, as they say. Yes, exactly. Jim, you've no doubt inspired a lot of young meteorologists with your coverage and your trademark enthusiasm. What inspired you? Uh, was it watching some meteorologist as you grew up or a specific weather event that gave you the bug? You know, I, I, I have to tell everybody, if it wasn't for my dad, I don't even think I'd be a meteorologist because he's the one who saw it in me. He's the one who saw me outside in it when it was happening, you know, look, waiting for the first flakes growing up in Vermont, leaving the barn light on, uh, shoveling the driveway for my mom. I mean, I, I couldn't wait, you know, for, for, that, for that first snowfall. So, he, you know, he's the one who goes, look, son, you've got to wake up for the next 50 years of your life uh, every morning to go to work. You better, you better love what you do. So um, go study the weather. And I was like, Dad, that's a great idea. So Linden State, which is now Northeastern University of Linden, uh, was 65 miles north of me. And it worked out great to, to go to LSC. They had a TV station, great MET program. Of course, Joe DeLeo, who... Uh, was down at the Weather Channel at the time, used to be there as well. So it, it, it just, everything kind of fell into place. And, um, you know, one day the Weather Channel called me after I graduated, and they asked me to come down for an interview. Which and, is so well, unusual because most of the people working at the Weather Channel and most of the people working in television start out in a small TV station somewhere, yeah. and then they, they kind of uh, move their way up, and somewhere uh, or the other they end up on the Weather Channel, they end up uh, doing TV. How did that happen, Jim? I mean, you're really an exceptional case, I think, to end up on the weather channel. I, 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 to this day, I really don't know how the whole thing worked out. But, I, you know, Ray Ban is the gentleman who hired me. Right, and, we know Ray. And, and, well. and, yeah, Ray, you know, was a great meteorologist who, if he didn't get off the air, he'd still be a great meteorologist. But he decided to go into management. Um, and in, apparently a friend of his was doing a study on where national meteorologists are going to school. Mm-hmm. And so... They sent out different tapes of people doing the weather from different schools, and I was on one of those tapes, and Ray got a chance to see that. Uh, and I know at the time the Weather Channel was trying to get younger anyway, but it just so happens that we hit it off. He liked what I did at Linden and hired me right from college, which uh, to this day is nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, Linden State has cranked out a lot of really good television yes. weather people because and, of and having... Even, and behind the scenes. And behind <laughs> the scenes. And because yeah. of of uh, having that television facility there, though, people can, uh, come out of Linden State with, with really good skills. And then how did, how did that evolve into this storm tracker persona that, you know, for now many years you've been uh, the guy uh, in the field? What was, the, uh, I was mean, there a turning I, I point just, there? It's kind of, it, Brian, is an extension of my childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I got amped up when we had weather in Vermont and I was outside, and now I get amped up when we have weather outside <laughs> and I have to stand in it. Uh, so it, it's really kind of an extension of, of what I was as a kid, and it's, it's still fun, man. It's, you know, the, the sad news is, is now I know a lot more being an adult, the, the ramifications, the hardship 
you know, the, the impact uh, on the economy and, 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 and the townies and the, count, the, the counties and towns. That, that's, that's what makes it a lot harder now as an adult. Let's talk about the, the live reports. We've seen you give these countless times. Uh, you said, what, 99 hurricanes that you've covered? Yeah, well, it's it's not hurricane. It, it's any storm that either has a chance of developing depression, tropical storm, or hurricanes. So yeah. all those kind of culminated you know, into one since the second landfall of Andrew, which I was in Baton Rouge in 1992. Yeah. Well, it seems quite dangerous. I mean, what precautions do you take, and have you had any close calls while you were out in a storm? You know, it's it's really all. I, I always think of my crew. And I always try to prepare them by telling them, I mean, I know what's going to happen when the storm comes ashore. I know what's going to happen if you're in the eye wall. I know when the storm surge is typically going to be maximized. That caught us a little off guard with Katrina because it was such a big storm. I mean, we had, we had high storm surge eight hours before landfall. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was ridiculous uh, along the Mississippi coast. But, you know, that, that's the most important thing. Um, nowadays, what's changed is television doesn't want you to do, you know, when I did, when I did Katrina, it was here, do a shot at the top of the hour and do another one at the bottom of the hour. Yeah. Now uh-huh. it's stay out there for the entire eye wall coming in. So as long as your voice and safety allow you, you're out there for now four to six hours. It's yeah. brutal. It's it- harder now than it was. Well, yeah, all of television now is harder than it was on a lot of levels, I think. One is right. because we have so much more information now to kind of keep up with. And and I've always wondered how you felt about that. I see you out there. I remember uh, at the Weather Channel watching the feed when you weren't on the air, trying to see in an iPad or something where the, you know, how the models have changed or what the newest information is. Um, or running over to the truck, or when there is a truck, there isn't even always a truck anymore. Uh, but how do you do that, or how do the the meteorologists in the field keep up with what's going on when it's, you know, when it's blowing and raining and sometimes snowing? Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, hard, isn't it? it? It's a plastic bag over my phone, yeah. and it's radar scope, mm-hmm. and it's you know the local storm reports that that I have put on there. The, that 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 type of information now has has really helped me out because I can tell everybody what's going on and I can actually culminate my my own tone from seeing what I see. I mean, you know, and, and Brian, you know, when we were doing uh, Harvey, and we, and all of a sudden now we got a Cat Four, right. uh, you know, that and that was the first Cat Four in, in years. That that was a huge deal. That, that that amps you up. That turns up everything, and we know what that did to the Central Coast of Texas, and of course later on Houston. And and uh, and Lake Charles and Orange, Texas, with the tremendous amount of flooding. So you know, there's just there's so many easier ways to get information, whether it be your own analysis on radar or Twitter. I think Twitter's been a, a great friend to me uh, on the air because there's a lot of uh, very trustworthy, good meteorologists out there that add insight into things that I may not be looking at at the time or, or whatnot, but I can go through some of, the, some of the guys and gals I follow, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, and, they, and that helps you get a nugget out. It helps add, something add to your presentation. Yeah, I agree. I and look, you just, I you just weave it in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just weave it in there. So, Jim, you mentioned just briefly, and I think this is so important, I think you are so good at this for meteorologists that are listening to this, is the idea of the tone of your coverage and how much that communicates, even more and sometimes than the words. I wrote about what? that a lot in my book. 
Uh, yeah, I appreciate that, and and that means a lot to me because, look, if I'm in the Outer Banks and this thing's not going to be a big deal, I'm not going to make it one, and I'm going to be like, okay, listen, because I have businesses that are counting on Labor Day weekend for their livelihood. If you can come, if the storm's going to bypass the Outer Banks and they're going to be fine by the weekend, then look it. If they're asking you to evacuate, you got to do that, but. The rest of your vacation could actually be okay. We, we could be talking about sunshine and actually cooler weather here. So, so re- keep that in mind. The storm should be a glancing blow. It's not going to be a disaster. And, that, and that's one thing I'll say for, for working at the Weather Channel. It's, they've never said, Cantori, you really need to jack this one up or you need to you know, really make this something. Uh, the weather dictates my tone. And my confidence in my forecasting over the years has dictated my tone out in the field. It is what it is, and that's hopefully what people see when I'm presenting. That's got to be something, you know, a, a big part of it, experience. I mean, when you're younger and it's so easy to get excited uh, and, and maybe overdo it, especially if you haven't oh, had Oh, absolutely. All, so. a- absolutely. But it, it's, it's always been about the weather for me. It's always been about learning the weather. You know, when I first started the Weather Channel, you know, this, this little kid from Vermont – I didn't, I didn't know the Cayman Islands from, from Cancun, okay? So, so Hope, John Hope, who I always consider my mentor and, and the grandfather of the Weather Channel, uh, first taught us about compassion. When John spoke, you could tell what he felt, all right? You could, his tone on the air always presented the risk, and that's one thing I always took away from John. So I'm like, I've got to emulate that. That's really, really important because John's generally worried. So everybody watching him should be too. And, and, and so that was one of the big things. But it's about the knowledge of the tropics. It's about learning the tropics, understanding waves, understanding, you know, PV streamers, understand, you know, and a lot of these new kids now coming up, uh, you know, through Albany, the Tangs and the Papans of the world. I mean, they, they know what's going on. So I'm still, now it's me learning from them. Yeah, it's amazing, uh, isn't it? <laughs> you, you it know, really I'm, I'm is amazing. When you see this stuff on Twitter, you just, well, uh, let me just look that up for a second. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it is amazing. So your education always goes on, but it's about presenting that weather. But it's taken me years to have the confidence to go on the air and just say, you know what, this is, this is kind of, this is how you have to tell it. This is what you got to say about it, and this is the tone you need to project. So that, that's really important to me, Brian. And in the end, I hope that's what everybody remembers. Uh, you know, this guy never hyped it. He, he just told it like it was. There are very few people walking the earth that have experienced as many hurricanes as you have. Are there any that really stand out to you that you've covered? I mean, you know, Katrina was unbelievable. I mean, I covered both landfalls of that. I was in Florida as it was moving across the state, developing over land. I mean, it was still cranking. It was getting its act together. Then it was moving, you know, west of Key West. And I'll never forget looking at the OBS out of Key West. I'm like, holy cow, this thing's moving out here. And the winds are still, still up to strong tropical storm force with hurricane gusts. So you knew it was blowing up in size. And then to actually be standing as we drove all the way up to Biloxi and Gulfport uh, in the teeth of this thing, that's when I'm like, I got to do something. They're not doing anything here. So I started pointing to things. 
And I said, look, with 25-foot storm surge, that Treasure Bay Casino, because back in the day, people don't realize for the, 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 the loophole for them to gamble was to build the casinos offshore. On a barge. But for, yes, <laughs> uh, exactly. So, so I'm like, guys, the water's going to go over the top of that. And so the yeah. mayor came down, and he said, Cantore, listen, man, you're scaring me. I said, you know, with all due respect, Mr. Mayor, good. I mean, we need to get these people out of here. This is a disaster waiting to happen. So here it is on Saturday. Everybody's gambling. Um, by, by, by Sunday morning, you know, he's shutting everything down and getting everybody out of there. And, of course, the weather went downhill. And, and like I told you, I couldn't believe how early that surge came in. Yeah. It was just unbelievable because it was such a big storm. And the water has no place to go. So it's going to go up and inland. And it did. Yeah. And we uh, we were in it. That was like uh, as well, way before uh, it ever got like. to Houston yep. and it was flooding in Louisiana because of the size of uh, the diameter of the storm. Brian, I had the mayor of Gulfport call me with the landfall of Ike. He goes, Jim, what's going on over here? I've got nine foot of storm surge right. in Gulfport, Mississippi. So, again, so, yeah, we, yeah. We, we try and talk about that. And I'm glad now, since then, we've had storm surge warnings. As, as you know, they extend far beyond the cone uh, and, and where we think the center is going to go because we know surge can be far beyond that. Yeah, especially in the Gulf of Mexico. There's exactly. no place more vulnerable exactly. than that. Well, these days, everybody and his brother and his sister is out chasing storms, seems like. And I guess this has come become a real critical problem in tornadoes. Is that also true of hurricanes? And doesn't that seem dangerous to you? I imagine it doesn't happen very often, thankfully, but... I mean, it just feels like the day is coming that somebody that is not really aware is going to get trapped uh, by the ocean. Uh, something bad is going to happen. How do you feel about that? Well, and, and what's worse is some of these guys are meteorologists, too, and they should know better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I mean, we've had instances in Ike. Uh, we've had instances in, in Harvey with the landfall of Harvey. We almost lost um, storm chasers down there, and, and certainly with Michael. We had people in the eye wall of Michael that shouldn't have been. They had windows blown out in the back. They had to ride out the whole thing until they could get into the eye. And then, of course, now you're in the eye. You can't get out. It's, right. you, you, either way you go, you're still going to have to deal with the eye wall again. So, the, the, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of starting to turn into the same thing because there's just so many outlets that want this video, and these guys are hungry. I, I think it's a twofold thing. It's, it's the, the money with the video, and I think it's their desire uh, and their love for actually being in it. But, you know, it, we're, we're, we're riding that line a little too close. It's also the technology kind of allows you to do it. You don't have to spend a lot of money if you're willing right. to risk True. your life to get uh, good video these days. That, that was a lot harder to do, you know, back Well, in yeah, the we can actually broadcast. We, we don't even need a satellite truck anymore. We right. can broadcast uh, on, a, on a phone line in quality video. So, you know, that's what kept us up during during Michael. And granted, we weren't in the eye wall, per se. We were just west of it. But still, I mean, the fact that you can do that and you can do it until you lose that transmission, uh, people are going to stay with you because it's, it's a ratings-hungry world in TV. People are, are dropping their, their cable. They're, they're going to different outlets. If they want to watch you on their phone or whoever has the best stuff is going to be watched, and they're going to find you. There is a famous video of you strapped inside of a wind tunnel, and the fans keep oh, increasing. Oh, oh, yeah, they keep going up and up all the way until you're experiencing Category 5 winds. Could you describe what that was like and 
Also, what would you estimate is the highest category hurricane you could stand out in the real world on your two feet? I, I don't think anybody can stand in, in winds over 100 miles an hour. If they can, it's for a very brief time. Um, I was in between two buildings with, I think, Isabel. Brian, you were in New Orleans. Was that Isabel no, or that Isaac? Was, uh, Isaac. Uh, Isaac? Isaac. Isaac, Isaac, yes. right. Isabel was Virginia, North Carolina. Right. All right, so Isaac. It was, it was one of the ice storms. Yes. Um, but, but Isaac, uh, you know, that, that, we, we were clocking winds there over 90 miles an hour. And so I had to get down on my knees. Um, you know, we were owned by NBC at the time, so Roker came over there, and he's standing in that. Uh, with me, and it, it was just brutal. But that was because it, the winds were funneled between those buildings. Exactly. Remember, you, had, yes. you had a Venturi effect going right. on there. You yeah. had an acceleration uh, of the wind coming through those buildings. But, it, you know, it still uh, w- w- was tough to stand in. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I, being strapped in there, there's no way I could have gone up to 186 miles an hour for for, for five or ten seconds, whatever it was. But it was... I mean, you got to realize, too, there's, there's a kind of a corresponding pressure fall that goes on with wind speeds like that. So you're kind of a little dizzy. You're a little, it's hard, hard to breathe when the, when the winds are blowing that hard. And needless to say, nobody's going to be standing out in, in 150, 186 miles an hour. I mean, a, a pencil could go right through you, for goodness sake, with even, that kind of wind speed. Even still, just seeing the winds and what it did to your skin. I mean, your skin was peeling off <laughs> yeah. of your skull at 186 <laughs> miles an hour. It looked painful. It, it was. <laughs> it, it, it was definitely painful uh, and, and very hard to kind of focus. You, you just kind of kind of grit and focus. And, and for goodness sakes, you can't open your mouth. You got to kind of keep your teeth together. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, think about it. All of a sudden, now you get a parachute there. <laughs> so uh, it hurts. It hurts. It's, it's very hard to breathe. Well, it's nice you did that one time, Jim. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the challenge, Brian, would have been to see how long I could stand yeah. with it maxed out. And, and I'm going to think, without passing out, maybe 30 seconds. Wow. wow. But then I probably would have, would have passed out after that. But, you know, th- that wind tunnel experience really is different than a real hurricane experience because in a real hurricane, the winds are much more turbulent. And you, you get these pulses of wind, and so that makes it much harder to, to stand. Right? Exactly. Plus, you've got precip. Right. And plus okay. that, plus and, debris. And, and, and rain, water, you know, has mass to it. Right, right. Uh, so, so that's another issue. Plus, God only knows what kind of debris is in the air. So, uh, you know, like, like I said, about, about 100, I think, in a, in a perfect situation where you weren't worried about debris is about the most I could do. But I, even that, I'm going to have to be hunched over. Yeah, you know, in Hurricane Andrew, Jim, uh, the back of my house, which was been where the east side of the wind, uh, the back of the house kind of looks east. So the okay. east wind on the north side of Andrew would have been coming that direction. You know, the house made it through okay. I lost a couple of tiles on the peak of the roof. This was in Coconut Grove, so so it was well north. Oh, of yeah. It was, worse you were in some time. of the bad stuff, yeah. 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 Uh, but the entire back of the house was just nicked with little bits of tree. You know, just the whole wall just had uh, just little bits of uh, bark and leaves and stuff, you know, that had been pounded uh, in the wind against it. So that just tells you that even in a place that was relatively sheltered, like my backyard uh, around the pool. So what do you just, think the winds were there? I, th- I mean, I always said that in the Grove, uh, they were in the 100 mile an hour range. All right. like that. So, so that makes sense, right? Because when you start thinking of the EF4 high-end range or EF5 tornadoes where you're up uh, 180 to 200 
where you literally see vehicles that are stripped from their paint. Right. You know, it's, it's a testament to the exponential power of the wind. Uh, and how how much it goes up and how much more powerful that it is. So, yeah, but but the point is, you get these little incredible. bits in the in the wind, even you know if anywhere there's trees around or whatever, there's stuff uh, blowing in the wind. Uh, Jim, what, you've covered all kinds of storms, uh, and I know you're a snow guy, you know, from birth. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have a favorite? I mean, are, do you still gravitate toward blizzards and snowstorms, or or have you become a hurricane guy over the years? Uh, here's what I'll tell you. The, the reason why I actually still like snow the best is because typically it's fun. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to have to. Yes. Exactly. I'm not going to have to see the aftermath of people that have lost everything. Uh, you know, can't believe this happened to them. And then wait, you know, for a, a couple or two or three days for, for a humanitarian effort to come in. It, it, snow typically comes and goes people prepare for it and um, you know unless we're talking about a a, a, a full-blown nor'easter where i'm getting houses washed out and situate mass which we can certainly get but most of the snow events are are just fun and interruptions versus you know death life or death experiences yeah it was a snow event that uh, brought my closest cross with you. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska. I used to be a chief meteorologist at the oh, ABC geez. station there. And, uh, and yeah, it was two days before what was going to be a massive event. We were, you know, forecasting that we were going to be right in the deformation zone. We were looking at a foot widespread, probably more, uh, upwards yep. of 16 inches in some spots. And we got nothing. We exactly. got, totally busted. it's my biggest bust of all forecasting I've, I've done in my career so far. It, it, it produced, it just ended up doing it in Iowa. It missed mm-hmm. us by like 50 miles. It was one of those really narrow corridor events. Um, but you, you had moved east to the next day, and I believe you got it. But we... Uh, we no, because we were in Lincoln, because that was the day that started for me always keeping my radar on for people coming up because here's right here on a college campus. This guy walks in behind me and he kind of get, tackles me with a, with a horse head and uh, he's hanging on to me while I'm doing my broadcast and I just kind of fight him off a little bit. And then I just exploded after he left and we went off the air because I'm like, that will never happen to me again. I am going to retaliate. I've had enough of this. And so about a year later or a couple of years later came the College of Charleston incident. Right. So I, I always had my well, radar on, okay, and, and this kid's running at me, and I'm like, you know, almost instantaneously, listen, I'm going to drop the target, I'm going to finish my segment, and then I'm going to help the target up before I throw it back to the Weather Channel. That's how I wanted that incident to go. <laughs> uh-huh. But as you guys probably can imagine, if, if you hit someone in that target, uh, especially of the male persuasion, they're not going to get back up. Yeah, well. Okay, so I missed the target, essentially, uh, and he ran away. But I just, that's kind of the way I've been from this point on. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating. Uh, you know, what's the biggest change in, in broadcasting storms and broadcast meteorology that you've seen in your career, Jim? I mean, in terms of what we have to do, it's just trimming the information. You know, that no, nobody wants to sit and watch something at its full length anymore. They, you know, what. Like even my tropical updates now are 90 seconds in the morning. I'm like, you can, I, I said, with I can get through one thing in 90 seconds and give it, you know, just cause. 
but there's so much to talk about. There's so much I think people want to tune in for. You know, if somebody's telling me about a stock on CNBC, I want to hear what they think about it fully, not not just broad brush it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think it's the 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 fact that we're so used to getting something quick and dirty off of our phones. I mean, let's face it, the local on the eights project that developed over the years with the Weather Channel where you would get your forecast every eight minutes on the Weather Channel. Let's put it this way. Nowadays, if we can't get our forecast every eight seconds off of our phone, we're not very satisfied. So that's how much the speed of information and the flow of information has changed. So we too, I think as broadcasters, have had to change how we deliver that information. And we have to cut and cut and cut and give only the best information, sometimes without really due explanation. And you guys know, in meteorology, there's not just a simple, hey, here it is. It's not just like looking on your phone and seeing an icon. There's, there, there, there are probabilities for, there are probabilities against, and there's somewhere in the middle where you feel is going to happen. So that's what's changed to me the most. Yeah, when something as bad is happening, though, I think it's kind of the opposite. Then television becomes this long-form thing that people leave on, and it more reverts back to the old way. Don't you, don't you think it... Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. During absolutely. the coverage I mean, of a threatening event that people kind of demand the way they always got information because the phone doesn't really fill that void. No, it doesn't. And, and you're right. It's not like any any particular given day in the summer. You know, you, you do have a, a lot more time to explain it. Or, Brian, you, what you will wind up with is doing more segments of the same thing, yeah. maybe shortened, but yet you're, you're on that same theme. You know, maybe maybe you'll cover the wind impacts on this hit. Maybe you'll go and cover the rain uh, impacts on, on on the next hit, and and then maybe you know where it goes from there on the following hit. So I I, I think the whole process is is shorter bits, but you're right. During a hurricane, you're going to get all of it. It just may take the whole hour to do that. Jim, you talked about this a little bit, and I think I know the answer to this. Uh, but when a really strong hurricane is coming and you know you're heading for the coast and uh, you really know that this is going to be bad hurricane michael comes to mind obviously do you get that kind of a sick feeling in your stomach about it um, or does adrenaline take over no i mean katrina is a great example of that I, i knew when i got up uh that morning and i saw the satellite picture on my computer of a perfect eye of a perfect cat five that I just felt the presence of death, and I knew people were going to die. And I, and I actually think that I turned that into a way to put the message out um, in a way that was effective. In other words, point to the Treasure Bay Casino, which at the time was to my left. It was a boat. It was a pirate ship casino. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is going to be completely overwatched. It's going to be underwater when, when, when Katrina comes in. All right? So – that's when it, the mayor freaked out. That's when I had a visit from him. That's when people started getting the message. Uh, but that's – I've gotten other times of that, especially the, the 27 April 2011 tornado outbreak. I'm in, I'm in Alabama, and I'm driving toward Tuscaloosa, and I look behind me, and I see the super – the whole mesocyclone is just black, and it's moving and rotating. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this thing? And then I got into Tuscaloosa and saw just utter destruction everywhere and chaos. So you do get those feelings. You know when they're, when they're going to be bad. You try and 
compartmentalize them, not not forget them because this right. is real, is a real feeling. But but you try and realize, hey, I got a job to do. I got to tell the best story I can. Focus, focus, focus. Uh, make sure your crew's taken care of. Uh, make sure they understand the timeline as to when it's going to get really bad here, and, and and get that information out. All right, Jim. Uh, just before you go, I, I want to just ask you one thing about overall broadcasting and sort of thoughts I've had about it and communicating these days is my sense is that we get so wound up in the models and whatnot that sometimes the bottom line gets obscured. That, oh, God, yeah. Do you agree with that, 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 that it's a well, real Sandy. challenge of the modern world in terms of communications? Sandy, yeah. right? Yeah. You know as well as I do. We, we, there was so much about, hey, this isn't going to be a hurricane coming in. It's going to be you know, transitioning into a, a mid-latitude, low extratropical cyclone, so we can't put up hurricane warnings. Right, right. And you and I talked about this on the air. I remember. Yes, I'm like, Brian, that's the only thing, <laughs> yes. that's the only weapon I have in warning people, and I can't even get a hurricane warning out of this. But yet the impacts are going to be the same. Right. So we, we, I remember talking with you on the air about that. So, you know, I, I think that's the first time I actually spoke out and was really upset on the air that I didn't have something to tell everybody. So you're, but, but instead of just focusing on the uh, impacts, you know, the argument went to meteorological issues. Okay, well, why isn't it going to be a, right. a, a hurricane when it comes in? Instead of just staying on point, staying with the impacts. Uh, that's where I think we, we, we learned a valuable lesson. And uh, uh, they learned uh, the National very Hurricane valuable. Center and the National Weather right. Service and everybody involved learned a big lesson there, and they did react to it, and we give them a lot of credit for that. They did, because later on we, we, we did now can have hurricane warnings up right. uh, should the conditions warrant, regardless of what this thing comes in at. So, yes, I'm not, and that's, that's a, a great example of how when we have big moments like that, it's, it's not about that TV station or that TV station or that network or that weather service. It's about the entire enterprise getting together to do what we really do. And at the core of what we do is a service to the people. We are trying to help them. We are trying to save lives and property. And that, that's really where the core of the enterprise stems out from. When it gets personal, when it gets you know, he said, he said, she said, or people start picking on each other for bad forecasts on Twitter. No, we, we, we should never go there because we're all on the same team when the crap hits the fan. And, we, and if we're not, we need to be. That's a good point. Uh, for you young, budding, aspiring meteorologists, speaking to those that are talking about television, something you may or may not realize is there's no nine-to-five job in TV. Everything is on some funky schedule, and especially the morning. Oftentimes, morning meteorologists, they get up, they start their shift, you know, or they're waking up anyway, at 2 a.m., something like that. Uh, Jim, you work the That's morning correct. now as a regular shift. Have, have you ever gotten used to getting up in the middle of the night to go to work? No, nobody gets used to it. It's it's never easy. The, the best way I like to describe it to people is when, when you're on this shift, you're always kind of like maybe a second or a second and a half off. You know, if, if somebody asks you a question or if you're if you're at a social function, you, you seem to be just a, a tick or two behind because – there's that kind of lagging tire that follows you around all day or maybe even part of the evening. But, again, it goes back to what my dad told me. You know, you love what you do. You sacrifice a few things. 
I, I enjoy Friday afternoon because by noon, when I'm off the air at, at 9 and I go to the meeting at 9.30, I'm on the lake at 12. <laughs> so, so I beat everybody to the lake uh, before the weekend starts. So that's kind, of a, that's kind of a good thing. All right. All right, Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel. Bud, thanks so much for, uh, Always, for taking Brian. the time. Always. It's, Luke, uh, great, great talking to you. Great meeting you. Uh, hope to see you in, in the next big one. Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right, Jim Cantore, one of the uh, one of the greats, one of the, the great people I've worked with over over the many years. Luke, so what do you think is is the key to Cantore's success? Several things. One is he, he's so uniquely gifted. How many people uh, have the weather knowledge that he has walking the earth? There's you know meteorologists out there, but Jim really knows what he's talking about. On top of that, he has the experience, and he talked about the tone, his delivery of it makes him credible and that's what i think a lot of that's the goal in broadcast meteorology is to be credible uh you need to know what you're talking about and people need to perceive it as this meteorologist is somebody that's worth listening to but he's also got that the it you know the excitement the it's the not edge. a game it's an edge the moxie yeah. he's got yeah. a little moxie and, yeah. and you pick you take all that you put it into a recipe and you get a jim cantori and you have one of the most famous meteorologists uh, to ever do the game and uh, it makes sense why. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was absolutely a pleasure to work with because he and I would talk about these issues that would come up, uh, and sometimes we'd talk about them on the air. Hurricane Sandy was a prime example. We had the issue of the the protocols that didn't allow them to issue hurricane warnings, and we also had the issue that when the uh, Bloomberg administration did not order evacuations, mm-hmm. and we looked at each other, and, oh, actually, Jim was in New York that night, and he, he asked me, he said, were you surprised that I, I said I was shocked that they did not order an evacuation at the coast that Saturday? Uh, they ended up doing it that Sunday for a very complicated set of reasons. Um, and there were a complicated set of reasons why they didn't order it. But in any case, knowing how to talk about those things, being very direct about it, being you know, nobody's in the business of throwing anybody under the bus. What we want is for people to understand the risk. Right. And and Jim, nobody does that better than Jim. Yeah. And, you know, I don't I don't care what your pursuit is, what your job is. There are those those of us that go to work and we put in our time. You do the best that you can when you're at work and then you're off and you're not you know, you're doing your thing. You're living your life. It's obvious that this is a really big part of his life in and out of work. I mean, I'm sure that Jim truly does care and it comes across in his presentation and and something else that really truly separates the men from the boys is live long form coverage i think severe coverage because i've been there in in the planes on tv just me and the radar for hours and it is so difficult and to do you're always trying to think what information can i give what what else is happening you're thinking you're talking you're listening to your producer all at the same time and to do that in a compelling way for a long while is in is the biggest challenge in broadcast meteorology, maybe aside from getting, you know, the, the message out that you're trying to you know, to put out. Um, uh, I'm talking like, you know, with a hurricane forecast or such. Jim does that so well. So something else that adds to success, no doubt. And as he says, uh, now the demands are to stay on longer and longer in more difficult uh, situations. So it, it, the job has indeed, uh, indeed gotten harder. I want to go back to, to um, Hurricane Andrew for just one moment because I just want to be sure that everyone that is listening that that is interested in hurricanes that lives with hurricanes remembers that lesson 
of uh, today is that was that happened on this anniversary uh, today that you can have these storms that are very disorganized and you can mentally write off just a very few days before they come and bite you really bad uh, and and we learned that to some degree with Michael last year but Andrew was the extreme uh, version of that because it did this head fake. Michael really knew, never did the head fake, right? Michael, we knew it was going generally toward Panama City. But Andrew, because it was so disorganized, made everybody kind of think it was going north or going somewhere else. It really was uncertain where it was going to go even a day and a half before it actually hit. So it's a, it's a lesson for all time. So next week on the podcast, we're going to have with us Leslie Chapman Henderson. Now, Leslie runs a great, great organization called FLASH. That's the Federal Alliance for Safe Homes. And you may not know the Federal Alliance for Safe Homes. Uh, you may not know FLASH, but you know Turn Around, Don't Drown. And you know Hurricane Strong and all these really great programs that uh, that organization promotes to, for public safety and for dealing with storms and for improving how the coastline of the United States is set up to handle these extreme events. So Leslie will be on uh, next week's podcast, so we hope you'll tune in for that. For now, for Luke Doris, I'm Brian Norcross in the WPLG Local 10 podcast studio in Miami. Have a good week, everybody.